0: for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk.
1: Good morning. If you've got a Bible and you'd like to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and we are continuing uh, with our mini-series on the Kingdom of God, on pursuing the Kingdom. It uh, wasn't so long ago we did a series uh, on the Kingdom, kingdom culture. And, uh, you know, it doesn't just get into us by one shot. Uh, It takes a lot of drip feeding, drip, 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 for us to get the message and the culture of the kingdom of God. Nothing changes overnight. I didn't change overnight. You are not changing overnight. We won't change overnight. It's a process that takes place over days, weeks, months, and years. And uh, so we are Pursuing the kingdom. Uh, Would you say that with me? We are pursuing the kingdom. That's what we do individually, and that's what we do together. Uh, In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. A brilliant, uh, both religious, if you like, and political statement. Because if you seek God, first of all, and his righteousness, and everything that is required for life will be added unto you. Now, that is not a, not a selfish thing. It is about a, a redeemed community who are pursuing the king and his kingdom. And when we get to pursue it in that way, we find that God adds to us all that is required for our daily life, etc. So, the reason I've asked you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5 will be apparent in a moment. I mean, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and this morning, we are looking at the subject of, um, of kingdom loving. Kingdom loving, and in many ways, you might say this is um, Christianity 101. You know, it's kind of the basic stuff, and you might say, hang on a minute, we've just been singing all about God is love, and uh, that's true. We've been hearing about God is love, um, but you know, you can never say enough about that. And uh, not only that, it takes a while for it to permeate down into our hearts, into our souls, for us to be transformed. And being kingdom people is not, like, it's not about living according to rules, uh, by religious practices and so on. It is knowing the heart of the Father. And when we get to know the heart of the Father and that impacts our hearts, we become changed, we become transformed and uh, that'll be a li- little lead in in a minute to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. But you know, there's a song that says, Love makes the world go round. And uh, you, you've only got to turn on your radio. You, oh, you've only got to put, pick out your, your phone and tune into something. And there are hundreds and thousands of songs about love, aren't there? Yeah, you've only got to go to the theater, you've got to go to the movie. And there's all sorts of stories about love. I mean, romantic fiction. I mean, you just go and look in any, any bookseller and see the, the range of books that are on the shelves. Somehow, we all want to know about love. We want to hear stories, and we want to do love somehow. But in reality, we don't make a very good job of it because as easy as it is to fall in love, we discover it's just as easy to fall out of love. Isn't that right? Yeah, please agree with me. That's true, isn't it? When you, when you look at the world and it has this idea that love is a, is a beautiful notion, it writes about it, it sings about it, it tries to do it, but there are so many tragic stories of love that has been started and began to be, pro- uh, um, and progressed, and then suddenly it's blown apart for a particular reason. It's just as easy to fall out of love as it is to fall in love. The Bible presents us with a very different kind of love. And that's why we're you know, referring to it as kingdom love, because this, this love originates in heaven. It originates with God himself. It originates with the Father and his very nature in, of himself. So, first of all, let's just, just, just paint a picture, shall we? Let's paint the picture of a God who is love. Um, if we can go on to the next sli- slide, please. Um, This is, I think, a beautiful symbol. Uh, For those who've done Word Word Plus, you will know that I love the word perichoresis, which actually is about a a community of being uh, dancing together and and a community of being who have unique personalities who are so engaged with one another and enveloping one another that there is this wonderful and beautiful harmony and we know that when we read the Bible, the Bible tells us that God in himself is love. He doesn't have love. He does love, but he doesn't have love because he is love. And in it, the very nature of God in and of himself is love because He is a triunity of being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He has been from all eternity, the Father loving the Son and the Spirit, the Son loving the Father and the Spirit, the Spirit loving the Father and the Son, and this wonderful, glorious interplay of this from all eternity, through all eternity, unto all eternity. And for me, that is a most beautiful vision of God. There is no disharmony, there is no disunity in God whatsoever. And, and that contrasts with the idea of God as a totally monotheistic singular being, uh, much like we might find in Islam, where, where God is said to be love, but the kind of love he has cannot be shared. Indeed, it could be said that the love he has must be a, a selfish love, a love of himself in that kind of way. Or it can be said that he, he doesn't have love until he creates and then he begins to love. And, but actually, this, this God that we believe in, this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been sharing in love from all eternity. A beautiful, wonderful, peaceful, joyful harmony of love. God is indeed supremely and wonderfully glorious because he is love without any blemish whatsoever. And that's the God, brothers and sisters, that we worship that's the God that we worship. You may have a, a skewed image of God because of your parenthood. You might have a skewed image of God because of your theological background. But I want to tell you this God is beautiful. And he is beautiful because he is loving in every way. You can cut him like a piece of rock through here, here, and here, and here, and it will say, God is love. Hallelujah. And it's out of this love that God creates. And it's out of this love that he makes humanity in its image, to, to know and dwell within the circle of this love. Such a beautiful place to be. And then when, when we chose through our rebellion to go and find out whether there was a different way to do it, when we rebelled and we stepped outside of that, that love, God did not stop loving us. God continued to love us with a passion and a passion that would pursue us in the person of His Son. And we find that in the story of the Bible, as Scripture unfolds, this great passion of God to redeem unto Himself those who had rebelled against Him, those who had shunned Him, those who didn't want to know Him. And He pursues them through the story of Scripture. First of all, we find it in the story of one or two individuals, then a family, then a nation, and then it's to the nations. And then He pursues us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. God comes in real flesh, flesh like yours, flesh like mine. And he says in, in physical form, right here in, him, in our midst, he says, I love you. Isn't that wonderful? That this God, this glorious, this magnificent, loving community of being comes to us in all of our, our brokenness, all of our abject poverty, all of our destitution, the depravity of our sins, and he says, I love you. That's wonderful, isn't it? And so Scripture says that God so loved the world, or God loved the world like this, by sending His Son into the world, into the place of brokenness, into the place of depravity, into the place of temptation, where He would be tempted in every way like we are, yet He would never sin, He would never fail. And then he would take to himself all that was rotten about us, all that separated us from God. He would take that to himself in his own body and go and die on a cross. God commends his love to us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He died for you. And he died for me. Such love. Such love. And all the loves of this world pale into insignificance in the light of the love of God. Love that has pursued me in all my wretchedness, in all my fallenness, in all my brokenness. Come to me and say, I love you. I died for you. I want you back in that circle of love. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful, and that 's the context of the Sermon on the mount it 's not a list of rules and regulations. so when you read these words here, the Beatitudes, I wish we 'd scrub that word off the top of our Bibles because so many people read them and they try to be them it 's not that at all. these are blessings for people who are in that state. They are they are blessings, and when you see it that right, God blesses those who are poor. And realize their need of him. The poor in spirit. Blessed. Are. And we want to say, come on. There's no logic in that. But Jesus is saying, if that's where you are, then you are blessed. Because you can know my love right now. You can know it right now. And you can go through those, those beatitudes, those blessed uh, attitudes, if you like, For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. That was a shocking statement to the people of Israel and particularly to the religious authorities because their idea of getting blessed was climbing a ladder, of performing up to God. And Jesus comes along and he opens the door of the kingdom of God to everybody they were keeping out and saying, you're not good enough. You can't come in yet. Do better and God will love you and God will bless you. And Jesus comes along and he says, if, the, if you are in this state, you are blessed right now. Come into my kingdom and receive its benefits. It's shocking, isn't it? It's scandalous, isn't it? I mean, what do they deserve? Nothing. This is scandalous love. This is scandalous grace. And, and this is what, how, you know, how Jesus up, upset and frustrated the scribes and the Pharisees who kind of thought they'd all got it all together. And Jesus comes along and he, he kind of blows it all apart and he reveals to them this, this great love of God. And so he went into their homes, and he engaged with people and others that, and others that they just wouldn't even go near. He mixed with the sinners, those who were broken, who were despised by the religious authorities, who were kept outside. He, he got alongside them, he ate and, uh, with them, and he drank with them, and he spoke with them. And he told some amazing stories. You're familiar maybe of the story of the prodigal son and I'll I'll recount it just a little bit because it's an amazing story if you want to find it in Luke chapter 15. And and let me just say that the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon about love. It is. It really, really is. And maybe we'll touch on that a little bit later uh, if I have time. But the prodigal son, that story there where, you know, uh, the, the son comes to his father and he says, you know, give me everything that will be mine when you die. And the father gives it to him and and he goes off into a far off country and he he lives a high life, he lives riotously, he spends freely and he has friends aplenty, everybody wants to know him because he's got something to share, something they don't have and and he lives high and, and, and wild and then suddenly one day it's all gone, it's all gone. And he's eating with the pigs, something which no Jew would ever do. And he realizes back in Father's house, it's far better. And he goes back to Father, not because he's sorry, but because he's hungry. (laughs) That's, that's That's the reality of the story. He goes back, not because he's sorry, but because he's hungry. He says, in my Father's house, even the servants have got something to eat. And look what I'm eating here. And so he goes back to his father's house. And what do we find? We find the father has been waiting for him all along. The father has been loving him all along. The father is just looking for him to come over the hill and and, and see him. He's just looking for that moment. And the moment it happens, the moment it happens, he he girds up his clothes. And he runs in a most undignified way. Something that you would never expect of, of of a man of that Particular stature. He gathers up his clothes and he runs to his, his son, his long-lost son. He runs to him and he, he throws his arms around him and, and, and we know the story how he forgives him and he welcomes him. There's another son who's back home, and and so Father says, Come on home, son, and you know, let's get the best robe for you, let's put the ring on your finger, let's give you the full dignity of sonhood. You're not coming in as a servant, you're coming back as a son. Hallelujah! And that's what he does for us. And so he comes in, and they have a party, they throw a big party. What a day! But there's a son out there who's just as lost as the younger son even within his father's house just as lost and he doesn't like this why are you doing for this for this son that you know took everything that, he, that was going to be his on, on the day you died and he took it and went and he lived riotously and he's lost it all and you, you come, he comes home and you, you love him and you welcome him they were both lost But you know, the Father went to him in an undignified way as well, because he went out to plead with him. That was a humbling thing to do. It was an undignified thing to do. And this, again, is a picture of God, that Jesus is unpacking God to those who are listening. And it's a shocking revelation, That this God should love in such a way both the prodigal son and the son who thinks he's got it all together but is just as lost as he is. And so he goes out. The father goes out to both of them. There's no concern for how he looks. There's embracing, there's kissing. The renegade son who had dishonored him and going out and pleading with the other other renegade son to come in and join the party. Love doesn't care what it looks like. It is not who, who it's offended by. Love doesn't count the cost, but is oblivious to it. The sons can't save themselves, only the father. And the father loves them both equally. You might identify with either one of them. You might be the religious son who thinks he's got it all together, but be just as lost as the prodigal who's gone out and lived wildly. God loves you. And he's come to you in the most undignified way as possible. He's come and taken on human flesh. God in flesh, with man residing. Wow. That puts it in context, doesn't it? This God come, condescends to us, to our humanity, in order to live here and save us. This this was absolutely shocking. and I, I, I want us to understand the shocking nature of the love of God. Because there's a world out there that needs loving in such a way. It won't be loved by a nice love. It will be loved by a radical, crazy, ridiculous love in the eyes of the world. It was shocking. It was spectacular. It's crazy. But God either loves like it or he doesn't. The amazing thing is he does. And that's how he loves you. Wow. How he loves you. How he loves me. And you know, he calls us to love in the same way. So kingdom loving is is radical loving. It's not loving like the world does because Jesus says, look, you you know, you're able to love your friends and so on, but I'm asking you to love your enemies. Oh my, really? Love my enemies? Those neighbors down the street, those people I work with, love my enemies? You've got to be joking. But this is the nature of, of kingdom love. It's, it's a radical loving. It's a loving like God loves, like he loves you. And there are three essential components that I just want to focus in on uh, this morning in relation to love. And it's a much bigger subject. I mean, this could have gone over easily over three or four sessions. But just to pick up on three things, mercy, grace, and forgiveness as essential components to love, to loving like Jesus did. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. What is mercy? Mercy is the withholding of deserved punishment. Mercy is the withholding of deserved punishment. As we think about this in relation to how God thinks about us, I want you to think about it in relation to those around you who you think deserve punishment because this is the kingdom attitude that God wants us to have. So it's in relation to deserved punishment. And I guess we've we've all at times thought, oh, he deserves that. She deserves that. They did this to me. Let fire come down on them. Or maybe you wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Curse the tree in their garden instead. You know? Do you know, Dallas Willard prefers to use instead of mercy, pity. Because even mercy for us has become somewhat sanitized. God had pity on us. Pity. And he says in in his his book, The Divine Conspiracy, you don't like me writing that, do you? Because it, it kind of really gets to where we really are in the place that we deserve mercy. We deserved pity. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We couldn't save ourselves. We were were right down there at the bottom. And we deserved the judgment of God. But he has pity on us. He is merciful. And then grace is the receiving of blessing that we don't deserve. (laughs) Yeah? So not only is it about the withholding of, of something that is deserved, it is about the giving of something that you don't deserve. And this is kingdom loving. This is the love that flows from the very heart of the Father, that God gives us what we don't deserve. We don't perform up to him for it. He gives it to us in Jesus. That's wonderful, isn't it? So suddenly, he takes us back into his family, and he doesn't say, well, now I want you to prove yourself by, first of all, being a servant, and then I may, might, might let you be a son and a daughter. He, he welcomes us back in as fully-fledged sons and daughters. Wow. You should be going, wow, because it really is that staggering, this... This this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, draws us back into the circle of his love through his own love, through his own mercy, through his own display of mercy and grace and forgiveness. So grace is the receiving of undeserved blessings. So as we parallel that through how God has done it for us, it's how we then work it out to others. So we think about mercy as the withholding of perhaps deserved punishment. Oh, they they did this to me. me, me. May may, may this happen to them. Or I'm going to hold back on that. But this takes it further. It's not just mercy, pity. It's also, I want to bless them. I want to bless them. That, that, That takes us a whole step further when we think about loving our enemies, doesn't it? Not only are we going to be merciful, but we are going to want their blessing. And we are going to be involved in their blessing. And then forgiveness is the key to both of these things. Absolutely essential. It's a commodity of the gospel that we so easily pass by. I've been forgiven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know I've got a home in heaven, but as much as Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who is in the heavens, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He also taught us to pray and forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts. And the next line, as we forgive those who are indebted to us or have sinned against us. And that really does go ouch on you, doesn't it? So in the same way that Jesus is is saying, as much as you need your daily bread and you come to me for daily bread, you need forgiveness in your lives. You need to be receiving forgiveness and you need to be giving forgiveness because this is the nature of the kingdom. And if you are withholding that forgiveness in any way, then you have not understood the nature of this love, this grace, this mercy that God is showing to you. That's a, that's a hard one, isn't it? Boy, have I struggled over the years at times with people who've offended me, who've done things wrong. I've wanted to judge them. I've wanted to hold out on, the, on them Oh, I'm not forgiving them now. It might be my wife. It might be somebody else. I'm not forgiving them now. They deserve to feel it. Huh? Yeah? yeah? Come on, I'm sure you were you like me. Yeah, we, we all feel this way occasionally, you know. But the nature of the kingdom is, as we have to, absolutely. It is an absolute essential if you and I want to mature as, as people of God to, to learn forgiveness and to learn to do it as quickly as possible. And in many ways, the measure of our our understanding of this will be the measure of time it takes us to forgive other people. To forgive other people. There are people in this room this morning, you need to take this route. And it's a painful route. But as a kingdom person, you have no choice. Absolutely no choice. It's a a way to, to wholeness. It's a way to health. How often do we want to punish someone? Oh, no, we don't do it physically, but in some way we want to punish them. How often do... Have we withheld blessing because we think that person doesn't deserve it? When it comes to forgiveness, how frequently, how easily it can be withheld. So often our love is is based on returns. If they make the first move, I'll do it. But that's not the basis of the kingdom. And I tell you what, you wouldn't be here this morning if it was because God moved first. He didn't wait for you to move or me to move. He moved first. And he said, I love you. And in mercy and grace, I'm coming to you so that you can be forgiven. I was going to go through some Greek words. I'll just pass on them very quickly. Eros, which is not in the Bible, is the love of sexual passion, being driven by a passion that has at its core uh, emotional involvement based on body chemistry. Filio, which is the love of friends. That, that camaraderie that we have together that's between equals, that uh, uh, has affection and fondness to it. And then you, you have storge, which is family love. The love of husbands and wives, parents and children, brothers and sisters. You find it in Romans 12.10 in a compound form. It's a, a deep family affection. But the big one that the Bible focuses on is Agape. Agape love, which is totally unconditional. In some ways, those other loves can fail when perhaps the emotions disappear. Something comes into the friendship and it, it breaks down, collapses in some way because it's been strained, or the family relationship, uh, some, something happens. But agape love goes further and And kingdom love is agape love. It is to love unconditionally. It originates in God. It's about the preciousness of the one loved. It it will go on loving even when there's failure, when it's let down, when there's no response even. It has no conditions to it. You know, God is loving you, even though you're holding out on him on some things at the moment. Isn't that right? God is loving you. Because God wants to love you through into a place of health and, and wholeness and completeness. love so if you've got your bible still open and matthew 5 down towards the end um, in many ways from 21 onwards jesus is expounding love and i haven't got time to go in it into it you know in many ways the world in which people lived they were good to one another there were people who were good to one another but jesus says this kingdom love is even better than that It has a goodness that goes beyond being good. A goodness beyond those things that we normally do in in our earthly ties. And so you read there, you have heard in verse 43 that the law says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for, you, for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anybody else? Even pagans do that, he says. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. What does he mean by that? Does he mean perfect in the religious sense? I don't think he does. What he means is having a kind of, having a wholeness, uh, a full functionality like the Father does. So how the Father loves, we are to love. That's the the perfection that he's talking about. A love that doesn't, oh, I'm going to love that one, but I'm not going to love that one. I'm going to hold this against that one, and I don't want that one to bless. The Father doesn't act like that. The Father is perfect in his love in in every kind of way. So he taught us to love. and, and, And as they read this, it was challenging. As they heard this, it was challenging. So at the heart of this love that God wants us to have is forgiveness. Our relationship with God and with one another is closely tied to it. Closely tied to it. Jesus said, when you pray, forgive, forgive, forgive. Radical love leads to forgiveness. If you've got time in your Bibles, go to Matthew 18 and read the story of the, uh, of, of the guy who you know, had debts and they, he was released from them. And then he went to his own debtors and he kind of like clawed it all back. He was forgiven much, but he wasn't prepared to forgive. Radical love must lead to radical, radical forgiveness. Radical forgiveness. The kingdom absolutely necessitates it. Without it, there is there's disappointment. I feel let down by my brother, my sister, my wife, my family, whoever it may be, my colleague at work. I feel let down. Without it, there's there's disappointment. There's there's division. Suddenly, something comes between us. A barrier goes up. And we relate to them in a very superficial way. Division and destruction can follow in after that. Destroying marriages. Destroying business partnerships. Destroying even churches. When we, we don't forgive what happens? Our our hearts are filled with bitterness. It churns. It's there with us day and night. Which is why Paul said, don't go to bed while you're still angry. Get it sorted. Get it sorted. When we don't forgive, bitterness, resentfulness fills our hearts. Gratefulness goes out of the window. Peace and joy are a distant memory. And we are disempowered, hear this, we are disempowered to live the kind of lives that God calls us to live. If we understood that, we would see the importance of forgiveness. Because when we do not forgive, and, and, and some will want to ask about big questions, do I forgive somebody who murders? Do I forgive somebody who's, who's accidentally uh, run over my child? Do I, you know, there's some big questions out there. There are Christians in other parts of the world who are facing much bigger questions than you and I are, where there is a a conflict between different different ideologies, and they are being persecuted, and, and they're losing their homes, and they're losing loved ones. Do I forgive them? Do I forgive them? Listen, when we don't forgive, relationships break down. When we don't forgive, we are disempowered to live the lives that God calls us to live, we are no longer fruitful. In Hebrews, he talks about rising up of bitterness and how it defiles many. You may not think so, but it spills out. It just does. It's like poison. It only takes a little bit and it contaminates. It contaminates. And suddenly relationships can go down. They can go sour. And the person who's laughing at the end of the day is the devil. We ask forgiveness on the basis of our forgiving. That's a challenging one. So we ask for forgiveness for our debts, the things that we should have done, but we haven't. In other words, our unfulfilled responsibilities. I have unfulfilled responsibilities. That's why it's right even for graced Christians to pray, Father, forgive us. It's right that we do that. I know that there are some who, in hyper say we don't need to pray that. Yes, we do. Oh, yes. And then secondly, forgiveness for our trespasses, for things that we, we shouldn't have done that we, we have, things which are not in harmony with God. So, so that's me. I need that day by day. But the radical nature of the kingdom is there are people around you who need to be treated in the same way. And so we, on the basis of, the, of that kingdom principle, forgive others who we deem haven't done what they should have. Maybe you've got people in your life, at this moment in time, you have an account against them because they haven't done something you think they ought to have done. Brothers, sisters, There is no other way but to forgive them, to release them from it. Release them from it. It's on the basis, too, that we've forgiven others who have wronged or hurt us in some way. Boy, we could go on a whole lot longer. The fact is that we're all broken in some way. And the necessity of the kingdom means that I must forgive. You must forgive. We must forgive forgive one another because it's the only way we'll get free of any clutches of the enemy that he would have over us if you if we have not understood that we have not understood the concept of kingdom love at its very core this is christianity 101 and this is where we witness something to the world that is absolutely shocking A crazy kind of love. As Francis Chan would put it. A crazy love. A love that is rooted in our relationship with the Father and flows out to us to those around about us. Family members, work colleagues, people in church. People in church. And you know... That's why the table exists. The communion table is a place not only where we recognise how we are with God, but it is how we are with one another. Because it is table fellowship. And that's why if there's anything that we have against anyone, we should go and deal with it and then come and partake. Paul never says, stay away. He says, go and deal with it. Go and deal with it. And partake of the one who brings us true forgiveness. As we close, as I say, you can talk about that in your community groups. There's a whole lot more there you could dig in on. But I want to swing it back because unless we understand the Father's heart for us, how Father loves you As you are, with your failings, we will never learn to love others in the same way. Yeah? And if you're in that position at this moment in time... Yeah, let's show it. Shall we, shall we just show that video clip? Corrie Ten Boom. Some of you will know the story. But it just kind of nails it I
0: think. We normally have a, uh, at this point we normally have a song and we, uh, we trust God that he will soften hearts and he will by spirit change you and change us. That's what we normally do. We believe the presence of God to come in worship but this morning I don't think so. I think we are going to have time to read that passage out of Matthew Then we're simply going to close the meeting at that, okay? Then Peter came up, that's the um, disciple Peter, came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity, there you go, that's the word, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and said, and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about a couple of quid. And seizing him, he, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed because others observed it, you see. And they went out and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now this is the shocking bit. Okay, you ready for it? I don't like this bit. But Jesus said it. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. You remain in prison. So my heavenly Father will do to all of you. You're kept in prison if you do not forgive from the heart. And I'm thinking when Richard was preaching, well, what did then Jesus say next? What did he say to round it off? Did he ask for a worship song? He just, it said, now when Jesus had finished these things, he went away. He went away. Finished. situations in life that crop up that will only, even this week there'll be situations in your life that have cropped up that only will be unlocked through you showing mercy and forgiveness end of meeting shall we go and have coffee